Hi everyone, Madrigal at the Movies with Rob and Rob is a new podcast that relies on audience support. The show began as a conversation that the three of us wanted to make sure we got on tape. And as the podcast grows, so will our home studios. Please make sure you leave a five-star rating and review if you liked the show. And congratulations, because you're one of the first people to hear Madrigal at the Movies with Rob and Rob. I'm one of your hosts, Peter Madrigal, and I'm here with Rob Fedrick, who is a director. He directs uh, commercials and movies, and of course, you cannot forget about the music videos. I mean, come on. It's all about the music videos sometimes. And then I'm also here with Rob Schulte, and he is a podcaster extraordinaire, as well as a producer extraordinaire. So... Without further ado, welcome back to an episode of Madrigal at the Movies with Rob and Rob. Oh, yeah. Love it. How are you guys doing today? I'm feeling great. I am feeling feeling like this movie has energized me. Has it really? What about you, Fedrick? I think movies in general energize me, but (laughs) I mean, the movie we're talking about today, Back to the Future, is just... Energy at the max. I, I love this movie. Send a lightning bolt up my spine. There we go. I Woo! love it. After all those lightning bolt strikes from the other night, I think that this is uh, sending a lightning bolt up everybody's spine. I wonder how much gigawatts, 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 gigawatts of energy those lightning bolts would actually give off. I mean, that's a lot of energy. Anyway, everybody. 1.21 gigawatts, buddy. 1.21 gigawatts. I love that. (laughs) That is awesome. Um, For everybody out there, the movie that we will be talking about today is an oldie but goodie Back to the Future. Starring Michael J. Fox. So So great. Guys, this is is a Robert Zemeckis joint. It is. Now, uh, who, who produced this movie? Mr. Steven Spielberg. Now, my question to you guys is, why didn't Spielberg direct this one? Was he, did he have any conflicts at the time? Well, from what I've gathered and from what I've learned about this movie is that Zemeckis and Bob Gale, who wrote it, um, they both pitched Spielberg. But apparently they had two movies prior to that that Spielberg produced that bombed. So they were actually really afraid that if they produced a third movie that bombed, they would never get their movie career off the ground again. And apparently, Back to the Future was, when it was in script form, was not well received in Hollywood. Like nobody wanted to make it no but kidding. Spielberg. Wow. And that's why Spielberg was kept on as a producer, apparently, right? I think they were, yeah, because I think Bob Zemeckis and uh, Bob Gale both feared that if. If they didn't get Spielberg to like, I mean, like if, sorry, if if another studio didn't believe in it, they thought that maybe it was just because they had a big name like Spielberg attached. uh, And that's Uh. the only reason they were making movies. But I don't know. It's curious. They they did pitch it to Disney and Disney turned them down. Wow. It's insane because it just feels like a Disney classic. You know, I mean, it's a little bit edgier, but. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It is a little bit edgier, but at the same time, I mean, 
it could be a Disney classic, especially with the way some of these Disney movies look today. You know what I mean? Like, what was that George Clooney one that came out recently? It kind of has the same feel as this uh, movie, Back to the Future. Tomorrowland? There you go. That's the one. Thank you. Thank you, Rob. <laughs> Guys, should I um, read from the oldest VHS case I could find again, if anyone is unfamiliar? I definitely want I want to hear this. Okay. So if you have not been allowed to watch movies ever or view a television, you may not know what this movie is about, but here goes from the furthest back source I could find in old VHS box. Michael J. Fox stars as Marty McFly, a typical American teenager of the 80s, accidentally sent back to 1955 in a plutonium-powered DeLorean time machine invented by a slightly mad scientist, Christopher Lloyd. During his often hysterical, always amazing trip back in time, Marty must make certain his teenage parents-to-be, Crispin Glover and Leah Thompson, meet and fall in love so he can get back to the future. Yeah, that's pretty much it, guys. I love that. Wow. That's, that's hilarious. Like, the title <laughs> is the... The title is what the movie is. That, that's, like, the best for me. You know what I mean? It's like, Gladiator. What is he? The Gladiator. Back to the future. What does that mean? He needs to get back to the future. <laughs> but did anybody, like, when I first saw that movie, I, I always thought it would have been titled Back to the Past because he went to the past. But that was, like, the kid in me that didn't understand that he Same. had to return to the future. Yes. yes. No, exactly. <laughs> that, that, that was, you know, I think that was a general consensus amongst kids at the time. I'm sure Hollywood producers as well. The title doesn't make any sense. Exactly. But the, <laughs> now you look at it, it's like the one of the best titles Ever. So I got a question for you guys. Bring it on. Is is Back to the Future a perfect film? Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> this is you're you're coming in hot, Peter. This is oh, top of the episode. I know, right? Top of the episode. We so haven't the even second gotten, episode. Yeah, I know. We haven't even gotten into any of the scenes in the movie, but 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 is it a perfect movie, guys? I'm not sure I could name a perfect movie right now. I, one jumps right off my the top of my head, actually. I got one, too, actually. Guys, I'm going to say, and hopefully my mind will be changed by the end of today's episode, I'm going to say this is not a perfect movie. Ooh. But dun, dun, I'm happy dun. to entertain <laughs> and be convinced otherwise, because I still love the movie. Okay, so my a perfect movie that jumps out in my mind is something where, you know, it just it flows perfectly. The critics and the general audience... They all come to a consensus. And for me, the number one movie on IMDb is Shawshank Redemption. To me, that's a perfect movie. All right. It's a good one. That's a great movie. It is a great film. But when I watched Back to the Future the other day, there was nothing that stood out to me that was like, like, for instance, on our last episode, we talked about, oh, did he did the submarine in Indiana Jones go underwater? How did he get there? But (laughs) this one there was there there's no plot holes that i can find not a single plot hole when we when somebody asks a perfect movie in my opinion it's a movie that structurally story wise is devoid of any plot holes like it is a it is a fluid story from beginning to end exactly and i and i honestly think that back to the future is a perfect movie in the sense of a storytelling uh setup and payoff uh, structure, right? Like, I think that that movie is devoid of any flaws. And on top of that, 
the movie, in my opinion, is just, it's got something for everybody. It's got special effects. It's got humor. It's got romance. It's got action. It's got everything, you know? I think it's one of those movies that you just never get tired of watching over and over again. But I do I, have one caveat. I have okay. one caveat on it, and we'll get to it later. But there <laughs> we go. <laughs> when did you guys first watch Back to the Future like, Ooh, for the first this time? This is a good. Oh, that's a question. good. That's a good. Oh, that's a good question for me too. So I I watched Back to the Future. Unfortunately, I saw it on TV, not in the movie theaters. But I was. I remember I was seven, six, six and a half, seven years old when I first saw it. Wow. I was really late to the game. We didn't own a lot of VHS tapes growing up. Most stuff we had was taped off a TV. Um, This was not one of those movies. Uh, I remember the Pepsi commercial pretty well. Oh, Um, yeah! (laughs) Where Michael J. Fox, like, runs into the machine, and I always thought that Pepsi machines just had a really big one button. Because that's how the, the Coke thing or the Pepsi came out. Um, but then in the you know mid to late '90s, when uh, LimeWire and Kazaa and things like that started becoming a Napster uh, more popular, uh, uh, a friend of mine downloaded the entire trilogy and was like, "We're gonna watch this this weekend." And it made me realize I had only seen a bunch of the third one that I had remembered. So watching this in like eighth or ninth grade for the first time was monumental in my like excitement for film. I have a funny story to tell about when I saw it, right? So I saw it when I was six and I remember that I I was just, I mean, again, like anything that that is in that realm of just the magic of movies that just blows you away, I was mind blown. Like, like as a kid, yeah. the realm of possibility, first of all, for me, it's like the best time travel movie ever made. Right. But there was something about the style of the DeLorean and the time machine, and everything like that. Like I wanted to buy a Power Wheels DeLorean if it existed. And if not, I was determined to build it. Right. <laughs> but the soundtrack in that movie stuck with me so hard that like I was at oh. camp that summer and I we were doing like I guess we did the skiing or something like that, like water skiing part of it. And we did like a bodyboard, right? Not like regular skiing. And I uh-huh. remember that like as I was getting pulled, I was so excited by the speed that I was just singing the soundtrack at the top of my lungs. <laughs> but because of the boat sound and stuff like that, the counselors didn't know what I was doing. They just thought I was talking to the board. And they gave me an award at the end of camp for the best skier just because I talked to the board. And little wow. did they know that I was just like, blasting back to the future at the top of my lungs pretending I, yeah exactly <laughs> so that's that's my little fun experience but. No, well you know what i got something similar so uh full disclosure guys you guys were pretty young when you watched back to the future i was actually uh, a lot older and what i mean by a lot older um i saw back to the future for the first time about two to three years ago Whoa! You're yeah. kidding. No, I'm being serious. You are kidding I'm me. Very, I'm very serious. I'm very serious. I saw bits and pieces, you know, in a hotel. You know, sometimes I'd be like, okay, back to the future. I never, you know, never concentrate on it. I didn't fully like sit down and watch it. And then I had to, and then I had to like watch the second one. And then of course I was disappointed by the third one. But <laughs> I didn't watch the and, and what got me what got me into it was um because I like to listen to a lot of uh 
I like to listen to soundtracks on my Pandora. So I'll, I'll put, oh, up, yeah. I'll pull up a sound like, like John Williams. I'll be listening to that all day. I was listening John to John Carpenter all the way. Yes. Ex- okay. There you go. I love, yeah. Um, but I'll listen to like John Williams or Hans Zimmer. Great you know, composers. Yeah, exactly. The best. Oh, yeah. And uh, James Horner. And um, so I remember I was, uh, we were filming uh, some of the um, interviews. For Vanderpump Rules, right? This takes me back to <laughs> Vanderpump Rules. So I'm filming a few of the interviews for Vanderpump Rules, and they were resetting the the cameras and checking the lights and checking the candles and all that. You know the the interviews uh-huh. that happened, and uh, and I just started humming bum 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 bum, and then and then the rest of the crew started humming along with me, and they're all like, "Man, that's such a good movie." I was like, "I never saw it," and they're like, "What the actual? So are you talking about?" You know, I, shit. the last episode, you know, I told everybody who hadn't seen Raiders in the Lost Ar- Raiders of the Lost Ark to punch themselves in the face. I, I was going to say the same thing about Back to the Future, but man, you came in close on that I one. did come in close. Yeah, <laughs> no I kidding. came in close. I remember, okay, guys, and I know we're getting into the movie here shortly, but mm-hmm. one of the biggest moments for me talking about like this movie and, and, and just movies in general, but I worked at a Suncoast throughout high school. Dude, that was my favorite store growing up. Yes, that it it was a a very high school dream job. Like I applied five different times, um, <laughs> but it was during the transition of VHS to DVD. And so once we like almost completely transferred over to uh, DVD was around the time. So I would say maybe like nineteen ninety nine, where the box sets first started coming out for everything you know original star wars indiana jones box set then the back to the future box set was one of the things that i was like this is on my list i only saw this movie like seven years ago for the first time and then the special features that came with a dvd for a incredible film that like so much went into was just so much fun you just you just hit it up right on the head, man. I, Back to the Future is just straight up fun, fun. Yeah. Did you guys ever ride the ride in Universal? By the way, oh you yes. All, you and those rides in Universal, man. <laughs> but you know what, man? That's that that's like again, the kid in me is like I I had this VHS tape of like the Universal theme parks, and I remember because I had seen all these great movies, and they did those rides like. That was the closest I ever got to living those experiences or kind totally. of really for me as a as a kind of growing filmmaker still trying to figure out that that's what I wanted to do. Um, that was the like the behind the scenes look. That was my extra features that I could live in. That was like the peek behind the curtain where I could see how they made these special effects happen in person and then inspired me to want to do that on film. Exactly. I, I got to say... Uh, Peter, I think you said on one of your social happy hours, like sometimes you'll put a movie on or South Park or something in the background while you're doing household chores. And, you know, this I was had a similar conversation with some other buddies about like what they put on in the background while they're doing chores. And I think back to the future at some point in like we're all similar ages, like this became like the a staple movie. Peter, I know you only saw it recently. But this is like <laughs> we're one not of get, those stop movies. Giving you shit about that one. <laughs> Cheers, guys. This is one of those movies that would be that comfortable. You know, like you could fall asleep to it, or you could 
do the dishes and have it on because you're just so it's it's so good. But then now we went back and watched it, and yes. I just have another like level of respect for a movie that I that I knew I liked. I knew I liked it. It was so good. It was so, it was so good. I didn't even have to pay attention to it, which just seems so <laughs> disrespectful. And so like going back and watching it is just. God, I wanted to slap myself. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah, I kind of wanted to slap myself too, actually, because you know it is it is a it is a good movie. It's an entertaining movie, and some would say it's a perfect movie. I personally say that. Um, so just from watching so should, it and experiencing it. Sorry. So should we just decide whether or not at the end if we like the if we're if it's a perfect movie or not? I think that's a great idea. Okay. All right. Well, who wants to start us off? Like, what's the what's the opening for the movie? Like, who, who do we get introduced to first? We meet Marty McFly. There we go. Now, interesting story about Marty McFly, because the actor was um, replaced, right? Yeah, it was originally, uh, Marty McFly originally was uh, Eric Stoltz, who shot for at least a couple of months, I believe, before it was kind of mutually decided that he was not the right role mainly because he wasn't as uh his humor wasn't as on point as michael j fox but uh yeah because he wasn't getting the laughs right yeah and rob you had said that like they originally wanted michael j fox anyway right yeah he was their first choice but the the producer and family ties uh didn't want to let him uh go because of scheduling conflicts but apparently Michael J. had read that script while he was doing Teen Wolf, and he preferred to be doing Back to the Future than a werewolf movie, quote unquote. And <laughs> you don't uh, say. yeah, they didn't do it. But after they got rid of Stoltz, I guess like Bob and uh, and and Robert Zemeckis went to to the producer and begged him to you know let Michael J. work on the movie. And he agreed, but only saying that, hey, family ties comes first. So actually, Michael J. Fox was like working like 18, 19 hour days. Like he barely slept, which in a way maybe helped the character in a way, you know? Like, yeah, exactly. Because so, he's like new concept of time. time. <laughs> exactly. He's anxious. He's anxious. He has to get it. He has to get back to the future. Um, that, that's uh, that. Yeah, that to me is one of the reasons why I call this a perfect movie, because they had to replace the actor mid uh, in the middle of filming. And they it had, worked. And it worked. I mean, we talked about when we reviewed Raiders of the Lost Ark about just actors that just become their characters. Like, I mean, what more iconic character than Marty McFly? You know what I mean? Like, it it's Michael J. Fox. No, I mean, you cannot see anybody else in that role. No, you can't. I added on to that, everyone but Michael J. Fox essentially got a second chance. You know, and I've never been filming in a in a movie, but it seems like it's a sort of thing where production is always behind, you know? So, like, when would you ever get to be like, well, you know, we shot everything, but it wasn't good enough, so let's do it again, and you've got, like, one under your belt already. Yeah, exactly. Shit, man. What I mean, what a risk, though. I mean, I can't even yeah. believe, like, me being... Especially now knowing about like those three bombed movies before and then they were worried about True. this one being a bomb and stuff like that. Like going what to were your the bombs. Uh, I forget the, the three movies that bombed before, but like he did make like Robert Zemeckis had to prove to the studio that he could make a hit and he made Romancing the Stone and then, you know, everybody was like, Oh, okay, you know, he he's got it. But still, you know what I mean? Like you're you're staking your reputation where you shoot fifty percent of a movie and then you're like, Hey man, we gotta we gotta recast. Like, yeah. 
that's a risk, man. That's a bold, that's a bold move. But look, man, I mean, it just goes to show who the filmmakers are that, you know, hey, man, we got to make the best movie possible. And, and they yeah, really exactly. did. They really did. I think they got and the it, perfect actor. It looks like the movies before were like used cars. Um, I want to hold your hand. And like you said, romancing the stone. So right. I don't think any of those have the clout of Back to the Future. Maybe close second romancing the stone yeah well okay so um so right away we open up with a bunch of clocks right yes, so they want to get the, they want to get the idea of like ooh, time travel right away you know what i mean yeah they're setting know, up a world yeah exactly what what better way to uh introduce the time travel than with with clocks um so uh i don't know do we see his face at all was that one of the scenes where they they cut out the actor and replace him and we don't see his face at all do we I don't think we see Marty's face until he gets up from being knocked into the wall. You're right. I mean, yeah. again, it's it's as a filmmaker, I remember when I did script writing class, like we always talked about character introductions and how to really even when you film it, how to make, you know, a character introduction cement into the psyche of the audience, right? Like how, like how yes. do you how do you film it to make an impact? And what like Raiders of the Lost Ark before it and like this one you really get a sense of the world right away and you get yes. an idea of who Marty is just by the way that he comes in. He's like this teenager. He dresses cool. He's got sunglasses. He plays guitar and he's connecting to this big ant, which is a comedic moment. But wow, you get this. Well, it's a comedic moment. But on top of all that, it served that, that entire scene where he plays the guitar at the very beginning also serves to him getting back in time or go, going back to the future. <laughs> it just shows yeah, yeah. It, yeah it's it, it serves a purpose you know because like him playing guitar is what causes his parents to get together which is a weird thing to me anyway but again it's it's what i talked about earlier about those setups and payoffs like for anybody who hasn't seen the movie right away i mean i've seen it a bunch of times but like those are all moments that are being set up to then pay off later and exactly. i think that's why this movie is perfect you know yeah, you guys. So, I'm already. I'm already taking back everything I said. But we'll get <laughs> good, yeah. because because the very opening, uh, the, the very opening, you see the clocks sets up time travel, and then <laughs> him playing guitar not only gets his parents together, but also creates rock and roll as we know it. Who would have thought? <laughs> right. So, I think that's we'll, my big argument, but. <laughs> we'll get okay. there. Right, we'll get so, there. but then what happens next, right? Is is cool because he's playing, he's playing guitar, and then he gets a phone call from the doc, doc the doc, Doctor Emmett Brown, who calls him, and is and it's a really cool call because it's just like him going, like, Marty, what time? What what time's on the on the clocks? And he gives him the time, and then all of a sudden, it's like precisely. They're five minutes later or something. I forget how many, how much. Five minutes late. Five minutes late. And then Marty realizes, oh shit, I'm late for school. Again, just tying in a setup for like time travel and introduction to what this movie's going to be about. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's a really good little foreshadowing technique, but amazing. And then he's got to rush back to school. Mm -hmm. This is our first broken clock. And there are right. a yes. lot of broken clocks in this movie. Yes, there are. I right. guess you could say that the amp that he turns up all the way looks like a clock that then breaks, but I would say this is our first example of time is not on Marty's side. Exactly. Right. Time right. isn't no, time is not on Marty's side. It's all it's 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 uh his 
his timeline is not a usual timeline. So not then we're introduced all. to uh, yeah, what a Marty. great way to put Wait, that. Though. So is this girl yeah. Marty's girlfriend? Are they so, together? So yes, Jennifer. Jennifer is his girlfriend because remember he goes he goes to because he's school. constantly checking out other women in well, front of her. Well, well what a I, boss. he's he's what riding a his boss. skateboard on the back of a jeep. I mean, people are gonna look. <laughs> And and he's you know again we're we're establishing he's a he's a cool guy which which yeah, brings me into true. one filmmaking fun fact if you guys would like to yeah, hear of it. course oh Bring please it. so the way that the script came about was that Bob Gale found his father's old yearbook and looked at him and apparently his father was this very cool guy Bob <laughs> Gale was kind of more of a dork and he he figured that if he could go back in time would he and his dad be friends and that was the inspiration behind the writing of the script you know and 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 in this case they reversed it right they made that marty mcfly is like this cool kid and he goes back in time and his dad's kind of a total dork right but it's interesting that that's the dynamic that they went with as opposed to the other way which i think works way better because it's kind of interesting to think you know you think the world of your parents when you're kids and then you go you know if you go back in time and discover that they're not it's it's an interesting dynamic so that's the little fun fact of the day Wow, that's that's incredible. Cool. <laughs> would you would you be friends with your dad, Rob, back in high school? You think? Oh, you know, I don't think I would have. I think he was. <laughs> I was pretty, same here. Same here. I, th- I was pretty straight laced <laughs> in high school. I know, wild, right? Um, yeah. But, <laughs> but I think my dad was more of like a car beer head sort of guy, and uh, I was more I was more of a nerdy sort of dude. <laughs> Bro, you're AV like just guy. like Bob Gale. Yeah, yeah, exactly. His so, father was a car gearhead guy. He stole this movie right from underneath me. I know, right? He really did. <laughs> they traveled to the future, stole the idea from you, and then went back in time to make it. Made sure to put it out when I was one so that I would really <laughs> feel it my whole life. Just to rub the salt in the wound. <laughs> Guys, Marty gets a tardy slip. So we're introduced to Jen, and then we're introduced to one of like my least favorite characters. Although he's still, he's still a um, you know, he's uh, a still, real that guy. Yeah, but he's not. He's in the Strickland. He's um, he's uh, he's there. But the first thought that crossed my mind when I saw Strickland, I was literally like. Uh, you could beep this out later, but I was literally like, what the fuck is with this guy? Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm like, oh, what is wrong with you? Why are you putting your, why, wh- excuse me, 2020 social distancing. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> also, you're the principal, man. You don't need to be handing out tardy slips. Exactly. Like what? Wh- I don't understand. Like the only gripe I do have with this movie was Strickland. I mean, what's the point of this guy? He's just there. He's there to but bust he, chops, well, man. Well, no, I, I, knew, I know why from a, from a movie standpoint, they introduced him to Strickland at the beginning, and then they introduced him to Strickland uh, with his father while they were in uh, the 1955 high school 30 years before. So the guy never had hair, but he he was torn right. from one McFly to another, you know? But I think that's part of the reason why they bring him in. You know, and, and again, people don't realize what names mean in scripts, but like his name is Strickland. Like he's super strict. You get it? Like, so it serves to <laughs> build characters in that way. And I think that's the reason is to be a bridge for so that like Marty can relate to like I I was in the same high school with the same guy, yet look how different my father and I are, exactly. You that's know? true. That's yeah, true. Yeah. 
And almost like he still has it out for a McFly because I think Strickland doesn't like. I think he calls uh, George McFly a slacker. To oh, he's a then. slacker. You've got a real attitude problem, McFly. You're a slacker. From one McFly to another, they had to deal with the same guy. <laughs> he probably was a principal in 55 and in 85. So he's probably a principal still in 2020. Who knows, right? Yeah, that guy doesn't age. <laughs> he doesn't age yeah. at all. Um, so then... <clears throat> Um, where, where were we? Oh yeah, Strickland. So then it's we a tryout to, for the talent show. Yeah, the tryout for the talent. The the uh, the guitar. Uh, yes. Now I'm the trying pinheads. to. Uh, here's the thing. I was trying to figure out what um what style they were going for. I thought they were going to be because I'm. Here's the thing. Um, truth be told, I'm a big Huey Lewis and the News fan. Ooh, bro! Who doesn't love Huey Lewis? I know, right? Who doesn't love? I, I mean, like you know, that makes me like a what a Patrick Bateman wannabe. Yeah, I was gonna say everything uh, oh, I yeah. needed to know about Huey Lewis. I learned from American Psycho. <laughs> exactly. Crap! I another love... another movie that we should probably touch on at some yeah, point. Probably. At some point. But um, so yeah, Huey Lewis in the news. I thought he was gonna bust out a Huey Lewis in the news song because Huey, Huey was asked to do the a couple of songs for uh, Back to the Future, and uh, he didn't want to do it originally. And I know this because I'm a big Huey. He didn't want to do it originally, but they were like, no, no, no. You can do whatever you kind of, whatever you, whatever comes to you. You don't have to make a song about time. Ironically, he still made a song about time. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get back in time. Yeah. But that was the, actually, dude, that was the, from the second movie. The first movie is really? The Power of Love. That's the power of love. Well, well, I thought they right were about both it. in this one. Wow. Were they? No, no I don't yeah, know. I'm true. just saying. No, like, no, no. I think it was just Power of Love. I know Power said, of Love was in this one for sure. Yeah, yeah and he's, I think it was that Huey Lewis just wanted, like like Peter said, he didn't want to do it, but he's like, all right, well, then I'll write about the Power of Love power or whatever, love. which yeah. in a way, it is a kind of big theme in the movie. It is Hell a huge yeah. theme in the movie. And it's like, anybody that doesn't know that song, you should punch yourself in the face. I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going right. to take a little time travel uh, trip right here, and I'm just going to look into the future. If this podcast becomes really successful, there's going to be shirts that say, like, punch, punch yourself, yourself in the, in the face. face if you haven't <laughs> seen a movie. <laughs> Mugs that say, punch yourself in the face. <laughs> oh, uh, and then when it heals. Um, <laughs> guys, I love that Huey Lewis was the guy telling him they're just too darn loud. Oh, that's right. He yep, did yep. play a cameo play in a it. Cameo. Yes. He's the one who did not let them get into the talent show that was going to get them to the record label that was going to get them out of this small town. Right. Right. You know, that is the thing about Marty, too. Like, and we're about to meet his parents, so I'll let you guys take that. But, like, a lot of people in this movie are looking to the past or referencing the past, and Marty is the only person really, like, reaching for the future. Exactly. Isn't that interesting? Because mm. th- we get to the point then after that talent show that he leaves and he's talking to Jennifer and he, you can tell that Marty's got the the Luke Skywalker eyes, right? Like he wants yeah. bigger and better, right? Yes. And yes. then he's got, you know, he's got the girl, he's got the talent. He's just, you know, he feels that he's not appreciated in his time, sort of speak. And then right as the moment that he is going to kiss his girl, there's a big setup that happens where yes. this woman waves like a can with change in it and she says save the clock tower and she sets up that the clock the town clock tower was struck by lightning what 50 uh, 50, 1955 Mm -hmm. right and that it hasn't worked ever since and he's like 
he gives he wants her to go away, so he gives her a little bit of money and he gets a flyer, right? Yes. This again is a key moment. People don't know what's going on, but then Jennifer's dad comes in, you know, she has to go, but then she's like, hey, they have plans for the weekend. They're supposed to go to the lake with the car and all this stuff. And she writes her phone number because she's gonna be at her grandma's house on the back of that flyer, which is why Marty McFly keeps it in the first place. But again, People aren't realizing this is major setup stuff. Yes, yes. exactly. By the There's way, to an touch equation on, to this movie. Exactly. And uh, by the way, to touch on uh, uh, the only one looking to the future is Marty. It's ironic that he's the one that goes back in time. Ooh. And you then, notice that he's like, I want to get out of here. I want to look into the future. I'm the Luke Skywalker of this story. I got the Luke Skywalker eyes. Oh, by the way, you're going 30 years back, guy. Okay. Maybe All I'm right. going to have to learn from my ancestors. Good right. luck. <laughs> yeah. All so right. Uh, what happens next, guys? So, uh, wrecked car. Okay. Now, it looks like um, Mr. McFly is being tortured from his uh, longtime nemesis slash uh, high school bully, Biff. Now, Biff oh, is yeah. actually like, I, did this guy ever not be a bully? I mean, I, I like I can understand, you know, being a bully in high school. I mean, everyone, everyone got bullied, whatever I did. You know, it's yeah. a doggy dog world out there. But this guy was bullying another grown ass man, which I don't under, I don't get that. <laughs> like, well, Wow. Marty's dad lives in the past. You know, he's like that's, always yeah, that's been evidence. under Biff's thumb. He, mm-hmm. you know, we, we don't get to see, you know, the 30 years, obviously, but what we do right. get to see is Biff being the same jerk he's been the whole time. And we get to see, uh, you know, George McFly as an adult disassociating with his family and constantly watching like Jackie Gleason reruns. Yeah. You know, like, that's the one thing I don't understand about this family. They're like so disassociate. Actually, the kids are very tight knit. But the well, rest of the family, like the mom and father, don't even speak to each other. Well, he even dresses like the 50s, too. Yeah, it's 1985, guy. Uh, you you got to change your wardrobe up, okay? 1950s was 30 years ago. <laughs> I'm not the first person to say this, but like this movie really shines a light on the idea of like, well, things... You know, back in the day, uh, the good old times, and you, like, look at stuff with rose-covered glasses, you know, the same way Marty's mom is like, you know, when I was a kid, we wouldn't do this sort of stuff. Right, right. And mm-hmm. Again, we'll another setup there. moment. Yeah, we get there, and everything does look pristine, and the town looks great, but we start seeing through the cracks. And I think this scene with Biff being such a jerk and learning that George mm-hmm. is so timid and the family is kind of just like fed up that we start realizing like, well, maybe it wasn't so great. Again, this serves for a big kind of character setup moment for, for the whole dynamic of the film, right? Because you're introduced to the key players. You're introduced to George McFly. We're introduced to Leah Thompson's character. We're introduced to Biff, right? Mm-hmm. We're So Leah Thompson's character, Lorraine, sorry. We're introduced to Biff, right? And, you know, Granted, we've all seen the movie, so we understand that Biff's been like that all day, But I think that the first time you see that movie, you don't you don't know the history, but you can Good tell point. by the relationships yes. who yes. these people have been since then. And you get the sense that Marty doesn't really fit in. And on top of that, because Biff wrecked this car, now Marty's plans have gone awry, right? Which is a yes. big which is a big 
you know, little foreshadowing that we're going to see because if he had gone to the lake and he had gone with Jennifer or whatever, then the next big part of this adventure would never have happened. So the fact that he's grounded at home because of this incident, right, dictates, you know, what he's going to have to do. And on top of that, it just shows who George McFly is in the face of confrontation. And Marty, you can tell, doesn't really share that side of the coin. Well, yeah, he's so different. Right. The other thing I think is really cool that you brought up is how Lorraine really says, you know, like, because I guess like you get his, Marty's sister says that she's been getting calls from different boys or whatever. And she's like, when I was a girl, like when I was young, I didn't sit in a parked car with a boy or do that. And you get the sense that she's just kind of like a stiff and that she's just like, but you can tell his family is just flat out dysfunctional. But God, what a great deviation is what I want to say. Like what a what yeah. a great like 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 throwing the smoke and the the fog in front mm-hmm. of us, you know? Because yeah. like now we're gonna go back, we're gonna see something completely different. But everything you need to know about Lorraine, you can get from Leah Thompson's eyes. Like when she talks about like meeting George at the under the sea dance, and you know, or you know them kissing for the first time or whatever. Right. Like huge setup, huge setup right there. It's it's yeah, a huge setup, but like her voice is saying something contradictory to her eyes, and yes, you don't exactly. see that. I don't. You you obviously don't know that on a first view, but um, something doesn't feel a one hundred percent. But I also think that you do get a sense that she really did fall in love with George. Maybe she's not happy with how the outcome turned around, but that she really. Again, I, I think it's a setup moment where they're they're naming key things. This the sea under the un, what was it the sea uh, under uh, the I uh, think the enchantment, un- enchantment under, the, under, sea under dance. the sea yeah right the enchantment under the sea dance and that's where they kiss for their first time and that's where they fell in love. N- Again, this was gonna blow over anybody's mind that's just watching this. They don't get it. We're all on Marty's like we're all in Marty's shoes at this point. We're like, all right, she's just telling the same yeah. story over and over again. But little do we know that that's again a huge setup. Same as we were like with our parents. Right, right, right. So, Peter, where do we, we're at the mall after this, right? Um, yeah, so, well, okay, so next scene, we're in the mall. We're in the mall parking lot, and we're introduced to probably my favorite character of this whole uh, film, uh, Doc Brown. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right, so, man. so one thing, uh, I think we brought this up before. <clears throat> We, we've all seen probably The Last Airbender, you know, 2010, that garbage, <laughs> that piece of, that piece of, of, of film excrement. Cinema history? Yeah, that, that film excrement that was <laughs> thrown into my mind, okay? Let me tell you something about Doc Brown. That is very, like, th- th- and that's what this is going for in this movie, whereas that movie in 2010, which shall not be named, had none of. So that film in 2010 had no urgency, had nothing, like no oomph about it. Whereas this character, Doc Brown, he's saying all this stupid mumbo jumbo about flux capacitor, et cetera, and going back in time. And he <laughs> believes every fucking word. Sorry yes. for the cursing. But he believes everything coming out of his mouth. And to me, like when you have an actor that believes Flux capacitor. We're going back in time. You know, look at this, that, and the third, right? And 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 the setup that that Marty has with the camera, etc., and him believing everything he says, I, that makes it all the more real to me because that brings passion 
to the work. You know what I mean? Yes. He's over the top, unlike Marty McFly, who's the everyday person. He, this, this guy, Doc Brown, is over the top, you know? So you want to watch more of him. I'm glad they didn't make a movie just about him because he's like the cherry on top of the, the Sunday. But still, oh, yeah. it's like it's like having an entire movie right. of Jack Sparrow without the, you know, the Karen Knightley and Orlando Bloom characters. Why would you ever do a movie like that? I just have oh, one wait. question. I just have <laughs> one question, though. Right. Because I've always wondered. Well, I this. have another question about this whole thing, too. But you go first. I, I've always wondered this. Right. Because nowadays. Right. It would seem weird for like a 17 year old to be friends like that close with like some old doc that's kind of kooky like i want to know how they became friends yeah that's a good question i want to know that too i want to know how these two became friends i also that's that that's a good point i i like that question but i have a second question to that whole thing was he working with the libyans well no no did he steal the plutonium from them because that's set up at the beginning that that the libyans stole plutonium and now all of a sudden doc shows up with plutonium was he a, well, was he working with terrorists? Yes and no. Interesting. Um, okay. He. I want to hear this. He acquired the plutonium uh-huh. from the Libyans by giving them a box of pinball machine parts and telling them it was a bomb. Right, because they wanted him to build them a bomb, and he he <laughs> says it. He's like, they wanted me to build them a bomb. Instead, I gave him a briefcase full of used mach- pinball machine parts <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh, but it is a amazing. blink and you miss it like explanation uh does it run like on on regular unleaded gasoline unfortunately no it requires something with a little more kick plutonium uh plutonium wait a minute are you are you telling me that this sucker is nuclear hey 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 keep rolling keep rolling there no 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 this sucker's electrical but I need a nuclear reaction to generate the 1.21 gigawatts of electricity I need. Doc, you don't just walk into a store and, and buy plutonium. Did you rip that off? Of course. From a group of Libyan nationalists. They wanted me to build them a bomb. So I took their plutonium and in turn gave them a shiny bomb casing full of used pinball machine parts. Come on, let's get you a radiation suit. We must prepare. Definitely missed that because it's I'm like, wait a also second. also great because that like all of the little Easter eggs that are left in this film is one of the many, many reasons you go back and you're like, oh, I didn't catch that last time. Doc also speaks a mile a second. Yeah, he does, you know what exactly. I mean? like, He is so fast. Yes. I can't, it's like you know, everything like, before he goes back in time is a faster pace. Right. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> I guess so Marty meets Doc and he brought the video camera and you know he's Doc's being as kooky as ever. Great and, way to do exposition with the video camera, by the way. Right. And he totally. shows them. Yeah, and again, these are all these are all key setup moments, which again I, I keep referring to this being the perfect movie, because you're getting little bits of gold here that you don't even know are gonna make a big impact in the future or the past. <laughs> if I should be honest. But yeah, so in the timeline. Right, right. So Doc shows Marty this DeLorean that he retrofitted into a time machine and he puts Einie, Einstein, his dog, into the car and he uses a big remote control servo thing and he guns this car up to 88 miles per hour, but they're standing right in front of it. And there's a comedic moment where Marty's kind of looking through the camera and looking <laughs> at the car and he's like, dude, do I get out of the way? And Doc pulls him in. He's like, check this out. He's like, you know, he's like, I think there's a great line too. I skipped over that, but Doc says like, if I, if my calculations are correct, you're about to see some serious shit. And yes. we do 
because the yes. car disappears and you get that iconic trail of fire yeah. through the, you know, like the, the, which is so cool, man. Does, do what either of you remember when McDonald's gave away Back to the Future toys and then had to recall Back to the Future toys? No. Because Tell us about that. The only thing I remember is I had the car uh, at one point in time. I had the DeLorean, but it got recalled because it made sparks. And ah, that was right around no. the time people were like, oh, yeah, Beavis and Butthead, fire, no. Um, oh, shoot. I do remember that now that you talk about it. Yeah, yeah. But so iconic and just traversed so much landscape, even just like the visual of those two fiery lines and everyone knows what it means. Totally, totally. And Man. what a great concept just to come up with, right? Like, yeah, that that's just one of those like wow factors to me in, in movies. Like who thought of that? You know, like that's pretty cool. God, I loved it. And I love the idea that when the car, when the DeLorean comes back a minute later, it's damn near frozen like there's chunks of ice on it and like so right. we get that contrast of like the fire and you come back and it's like what is it hot and he's like no it's ice cold yeah yeah because we're all thinking the same thing but those yeah. little tidbits to just ground that idea a little more into reality you know what i mean like and wow, not like, make sure you're not on like once you understand what's going on, you still don't understand what's going on. No, you don't. Totally. You don't. But you believe it. You believe yeah. it. Like I believed that a car could be a time traveling device at that moment. But yes. even then, you see it. The dog. Like I just love it how Marty's like you disintegrated Einstein, and then Einstein's back. He's like perfectly fine, but the clocks are one minute behind. And Doc says Einstein's become the fir- the the world's first time traveler. <laughs> That's kind of awesome that the dog's name is Einstein, by the way. Hell yes. Cool. Nice little nice little tidbit there, too. Right, right. So after all of that setup and exposition and the video camera and the going back in time for a, uh, one minute, um, we get introduced to uh, a shady group of characters, the Libyans. I thought there would be more of them, or there were only, what, two? And then they come in with uh, AK-47s and a rocket launcher, which was uh, <laughs> actually kind of actually kind of gruesome. <laughs> yeah. It's... But... but um, and then they apparently kill Doc. Now, um, that was actually a sad moment for me because I was like, wait, the best character in the movie is gone. No, gone. not Doc. You know what I mean? Yeah, and we get Doc shot, but we don't have time to really like mourn it because we don't want, as an audience, we don't want Marty to get shot. And Marty as a character doesn't want to get shot. Yeah, exactly. Shot. So Marty, Marty, the, there's a chase scene, which was yeah. action for the first, I mean, like we had some action, but not like this. This was actually like, seat on your pants. Uh, this guy could die. He's got to get out. Of, he's got to figure out a way to get out of of the situation that he's in. So it's like a huge car chase scene, and then he finally like hits eighty five miles an hour and goes in back 88. to the eighty eight. Eighty eight miles an hour goes back. Now, did we see or was it there that? Um, that the uh, the time the the year was put in. Yeah, uh, when Doc is explaining how the DeLorean works, um, he says, you know, you can. What if you want to go back and see the Declaration of Independence? What if you want to see the birth of Christ? Awesome, like very like who, both ends of the spectrum dates, and then he's like, or you say you go back thirty years ago, nineteen fifty five, and plugs in the date, and then he. Is like, oh my God, that's the day that I actually first thought of the flux capacitor, which is what makes this whole rigmarole work. So that's in the system, and then Marty 
hits the gas. So he didn't even have to think about it. This is something that's still crazy to me, though, because time travel movies are notoriously difficult to write, right? Because there's so many paradoxes, so many you have the potential of so many plot holes because it's a very it's a very outlandish, difficult concept, right? But what a way to like tie in. All right. I created time travel, you know, 1955, 30 years ago. Yet that's exactly when their parents were like they I mean, I wouldn't even consider that a writer's convenience. It's just so well set up again to drive this story forward that Marty's going to end up going back in time to that date to meet. You know, like it's just yeah. crazy to me. It's crazy. It's, to me. it's great. And it's like it is a, as, as much as as, as as difficult as it is to write a time travel movie. Um, you also get a lot of like nudges, winks, and like outs in certain things. It's like time is mysterious. You know, the the same day that the doc has the idea for the flux capacitor happens to be the same time period that Marty's parents fall in love. And why are these two dudes friends? Like we said earlier, the scientist and the young guy. But for some reason, they have to be friends to make all of these other things happen. And there's also a big key exposition moment again where that Doc tells Marty, which is how he actually came up with the concept, is that he was standing over the bathroom. He was hanging up a clock and he slipped and he hit his head on the sink. And that's when he came up with the concept of the flux capacitor, which Marty, again, we're all listening to this. Marty's listening to this, but we don't all know that that story is going to be important to Marty later down the road. Not at all. But uh, Marty's back 30 years, guys, and he crashes right into a barn. Yeah, and uh, and the owners of that barn, <laughs> they, <laughs> they get terrified. And, as uh, well as right they should be. So yeah. my brother and I, we were watching this movie together, and my brother was like, wait a second. Why wouldn't, he, why wouldn't this guy in a farm have, why wouldn't he have a gun? And sure enough, he pull, he does pull out a gun. Yeah. <laughs> he does like, start oh. with a pitchfork. He does start with a pitchfork. Oh, yeah, he does start with a pitchfork. And then he runs wow. into the house and gets a gun. <laughs> My favorite line is in this scene, guys. Oh. And that's when the kid's like, get him. It's already mutated into human form. <laughs> right. Because he shows the, the, comic, the comic book, book that looks yeah. sort of because he's wearing that yellow radiation suit. Remember? Yeah. yeah it looks so, just enough. Oh, God. The, I mean, again, what just, great setups. The mask just happens to fall. The helmet just happens to fall on his head. Which yeah. I th- I, it was like I, I, I didn't really think about it because it was like, why is that helmet on? I said, get the helmet off. Get the helmet off. You know what I mean? <laughs> but he's trying to drive the car while the the helmet's on his head. It was actually kind of a great setup because then yeah. you have this whole scene where like, oh, it's an alien. It's already mutating. And it just goes to show that Marty's not in Kansas anymore, right? Like it's just a drastic change. He drove through the mall when Doc said, oh, this used to be cornfields as far as the eye could see. And now all of a sudden he's in cornfields. So we we absolutely get the point that even Marty's driving away after that experience. And he's going, it's it's just a dream. It's it, it, That's all it is. It's a dream. And, and it isn't. Now we're realizing damn, this dude went back in time. Yep, he slams on the brakes in front of the Lions Estates uh, neighborhood development, which is the place where his family actually lives. Graffiti was everywhere, but now the entrance looks crystal clean. Exactly. I was just going to say it looked like a rundown piece of crap in 85. Yeah. <laughs> but there's no, but there aren't any houses. It hasn't even been no. built yet. They you know? just put the like marble 
welcoming sign. That's it. And then a key, key turning point happens at this point, which is the DeLorean does not work. It doesn't turn on anymore. It had a little trouble in 1985 and now won't turn over. Now he's stuck there. So what does he got to do? He's got to hide this DeLorean real quick and he's going to walk into town and see how he's going to get out of this pickle. Two miles. He had to walk two miles. Wow. Which isn't that... If you think about it, it's not that far. He can figure it out. But This um, is... This is the huh. first moment in the movie where I was like, when the first time I watched it, um, where I was like, God, I wish I would have been paying attention more earlier. You know, when you see like the mirror image of this small town. There's a, there's a really sad, there's a really little sad moment here that I got to interject that, you know, that back lot was built at Universal Studios, man. And when I went to USC in 2008, we did a, a workshop that was going to shoot you know, we were going to shoot our student films at Universal Studios. And wow. unfortunately, that's when the fires broke out in oh. Universal and it burnt like I think like 80 percent or 90 percent of that New York. Sorry, that that clock tower set. And unfortunately, wow. that priceless piece of history that was beautiful is is sort of gone. They rebuilt it, but it's just sure not, it's not the same, which is kind of sad. But at least it lives on in film history forever. That's true. It really puts a chill up your uh, spine on it. It's just like so iconic. Right. So so he goes to town. Walk us through that one. He goes to town and um, walks into a little um, uh, diner and uh, he sits next to somebody, which he is actually in awe of. He can't literally like what once once he figures out who this person is. He literally can't take his eyes off this guy. He's all like, oh, shit. That's when it really starts to hit him. Not, I mean, like, he thinks he's dreaming that he has to hide the DeLorean. But he doesn't, he doesn't really come to until he sits down right next to this particular person. The way he finds out about this person that he's sitting right next to is because he's looking at him. He's all like, holy shit, that's my dad. Well, he yeah. hears the name McFly, and they yeah. both turn, and he realizes, "Oh shit!" Yeah, he looks like he. And he th- th- I love there's one camera angle where it's like really, really super close up on on George, and then uh, off to the side, it comes comes uh, Marty's face, like what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Iconic, iconic moment. Yes, guys, iconic I have moment. to say. I think this is my favorite scene in the entire movie and I'll, I'll make it brief, but like you learn so much. So we realize, okay, Biff, George, we, we understand their dynamic. Um, nothing's changed, right? Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. Um, but we, at, at a certain point, one of the, not Billy Zane, but one of the other bullies, uh, turns and goes, hey, this dork thinks he's going to drown, because, which is a recurring joke in the movie because of Marty's vest. They all right, think he looks right. like a life preserver. But in that moment, George also laughs at Marty. And it just says so much about George. Like, just anything to get right. these bullies off of me. Right. You know, like, yes. I don't care if I will pretend to be your friend, but you guys are just... So painful to me. And then also the idea that the bullies are uh, happy to make fun of anyone. And 
everything we talked about before. It's just it it's, it was just an illuminating scene, and this was the time watching it for this record that I really was just like, um, this it speaks volumes. Talk about like, you know, you mentioned the life preserver joke, but like talk about again the funny fact that Marty McFly, like Indiana Jones, is a Halloween costume every year. Yeah. For both boys and girls. Like I see girls dress up as Marty McFly as well with the like the denim jacket and the life preserver jacket type, <laughs> yeah. you know, vest on top. Like and everybody does the little watch pose from the poster yeah. where they're looking at the watch and holding up the sunglasses. <laughs> like everybody does that. Like there's always one on Halloween. Oh like, yeah, one. There's like ten. 15. There's always like, there's always a time. It's just like Indiana Jones. Everyone wears the same that costume. It's uh it's iconic as they would say. Yeah. 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 But you're so right, Rob. Like I think that George McFly is in denial of who he is, but then you also kind of get idea like m- m- like. I think Marty later on, as he discovers, like, you know, he, he, he's in shock that he's met his father. So he follows him and then he finds out that George McFly is like kind of climbing a tree and looking through binoculars. He's a peeping Tom. And he says it like, like with such like dis not disdain, but he's just so let down. He's like, he's a peeping Tom. Like he can't even believe what a loser his father is. The father falls, Marty pushes him away and he gets hit by the car. Which is goes directly back to that scene at, in 1985 when his uh, when Lorraine asks like what were you doing again George bird watching and he like it completely ignores the question he's like huh oh uh, yeah like, yeah you know what uh, I mean? yeah, but, yeah 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 like he didn't want to admit that he was like a peeping, peeping Tom on his future wife but now another key piece of information happens where it's like instead of George being hit with the car where this is where he meets Lorraine and stuff Marty is put in that position. And now he's going to meet his mother. Yeah. And just to jump back on that, like when Lorraine's telling the story earlier, she talks about how like George was so helpless. She couldn't help but take care of him. It's like, that doesn't sound very romantic. So (laughs) so weird, right? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) It's like when a nurse falls in love with a a patient. The nightingale. Yes. Yeah. That is referenced by Doc later on in the movie, but yeah, it's um, it's so weird knowing like you know like like even me as an observer and you know Marty in the situation, watching this whole situation take place between Marty and the mom, it, it it's kind of cringe to me. Between this and uh, what was that uh, Cold War movie, The Wolverines? Uh, oh, oh, Red yeah. Dawn. Red Dawn. Red Dawn. Between this and Red Dawn, it's like she is just so fucking awesome. They do it so well to like present her as just just a handful of sentences, and she is way more forward than anything she presented earlier. And it's kind of neat too the way they start that scene off, right? Because you 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 think that Marty's gone back and like they almost make it look like he went back to 1985, like it was a dream where he's like, "Oh, I had this horrible nightmare," and you hear his mom's voice. And you're like, wait, was it a, like what's going? And then it's like, well, you're you're safe and sound here, nice, you know, back in 1955, and it's all of a sudden the shock. What? And he's yeah. he's stuck back in time. And then like, I love, I just love the little tidbit. It's just like little movie things where she calls him Calvin because he's got Calvin Klein <laughs> written all over his underwear. Like that's just so clever to me, man. I just think that's great. That's just great script writing, in my opinion. Yeah, and I love how excited the family is to have a TV on a rolling cart so they can watch. 
while eating dinner. And, uh, oh my God. I did not notice that. Oh God. <laughs> What's Wayne crazy too? from the wonder years is like, oh, you've seen yeah, this shit. episode. That's right. It's Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> right. And he's like, he's like, how have you seen this? It's brand new. And like Marty's been watching. Like, it's just that that's something we could all relate to is, you know, if we were all time travelers, like, damn, like the information would we, that we bring back from the yes, future. Exactly. And you want to talk about living in the past and all of the things that are like hinted at earlier. Like this is the setup at their house, at Marty's house. You know, even though this isn't George's family, George is sitting at a table reenacting what Lorraine's dad did, watching Jackie Gleason while everyone else is eating dinner. Do you think maybe George McFly started liking Jackie Gleason because technically he was there? He was supposed to be there, you know? Has to be. Has to be. And that's one that I've never seen. I mean, it's so so easy, but like uh, everything is planted in this movie. There's just a really clever line in that scene, too, that I love where uh, his grandmother, you know, Lorraine's mom, says, Marty, you look so familiar to me. Do I know your mother? And he's just like, yeah, I think you do. Like, <laughs> it's just such a little clever bit of humor that it's just great, man. Like, I mean, you, this is a movie, again, that has something for everybody. My favorite yeah. was the, uh, the the baby, his uncle uh, behind bars. Oh, oh my crib. God. Uncle Jailbird Joey. Yeah, jail- jail- <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, you'll love those bars. You'll yeah. To them. yeah. It's like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, Lorraine grabs Marty's legs, which prompts him to be like, you know so, what? I've got uh, bigger uh, fish to fry right now. Uh, I will see you all later. My parents are out of town. And he heads over to the doc's house. Big moment, right? Huge. Yeah. Huge moment. Because uh, he has to um, talk to the doc about his um, little injury that he has on his forehead. Well, I mean, he's, yes. he's got to convince I mean, like, convince him somehow to that he is from the future. Yep, the doc and, won't believe him. The doc's trying to do a mind control device on Marty. He's not letting Marty talk. The doc is let down because the mind control device doesn't work and kicks Marty out. But then Marty is like, tells persistent. the story mm-hmm. of how doc created the flux capacitor Earlier that day, that morning. Right. And for Marty, it was minutes ago or hours ago. And no, but for the doc, it was today. Right. Right. Yeah. Great payoff. But also, who isn't like who have you got like, aren't you guys just glad to see Doc alive at this point? Because he yes. was killed yes. like, you know, yes. 20 minutes before. And it, we're all just so happy to see him again, I think. Yeah, because you know, this is Mr. Exposition and he does it with such passion. And I'm like, yes, this is exactly who I want to see on screen again. <laughs> the, the, Peter, the, this the, must have been crazy for you because, I mean, I guess it was just a little while ago that you saw this movie. And you were just like, well, okay, so huge movie star dead in the first seven minutes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking. But I see, here's the thing. I knew that um, I knew that Marty would have to, once he goes back in time, he would have to find True, the doc yeah. to get this thing working again. So I kind of like, makes sense that he'd be that'd be the first person that Marty would be looking for to restart the car, the DeLorean, yes, the time yes. machine. And yeah, that the, the, the Doc's realization is like something of like uh I don't know, he, he it's like it's, a Greek tragedy. Yeah, it's really right. weird for him. Like it's something I thought of today has come true and manifested itself. Like 
if he wouldn't have fallen in the bathroom and hit his head, would this day still happen? Like these are the questions that. Or you would know, they? He's but he's got the bandage. Yeah, he's yeah. got the bandage on his head. It just happened. Yes. Yeah. And so, now a time traveler has come back to tell him, "Hey, it worked." I know and you just what, hit your head, and on sitcoms you watch right now, like Jackie Gleason, you're gonna wake up in an hour, and this is gonna be a crazy dream, but it's real. Those are all, I mean, and we were talking about earlier about the setups, right? Now, this scene is the major payoff for several of those, right? Because then he says, he shows them the videotape to prove yep. that he's from the future. And Doc's like, oh my God, look at me, I'm an old man. And then he hears about the thing and he's like, and he's like, no, this sucker's electrical. Talk about how the DeLorean works. He's like, but I need, you know, I need plutonium to give it the one, 21.1 gigawatts of power to get this running. 21.1 gigawatts. Right, he freaks out. 21.1. <laughs> like, <laughs> and again, there's these really great humorous points where he's like, well, Marty, I'm, I'm sure that in 1985, you could just walk into any corner drugstore and buy plutonium. <laughs> but in 1955, it's a little hard to come by. And it, it's just so crazy because again, you really do get a, rea- a sense of the reality of the time travel where Somebody from 1955 would probably think that, yet we are, it's 2020 right now. We can't walk in anywhere to get plutonium. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's outrageous. <laughs> so Marty then opens up about like, because the doc's like, you haven't talked to anyone, have you? And he's like, well, I did fuck up my own existence. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So they Butterfly hatch a plan fact. that Marty's going to have to go to school to introduce his parents to make sure that him and his siblings don't disappear, which is uh, demonstrated beautifully with a photograph that Marty has. It's already showing that uh, his brother is starting to fade away. Right. Wait, wait we have to go back. We have, you to, have go to go back. You got to go back, though. You got to go back. They're trying to figure out how to restart the DeLorean. And how to, I'm uh, so like, sorry, guys. Yeah, they got to They got to figure out how to get 21 point with gigawatts. How on earth can they generate that much power? And then, and then during that little scene, they're on the uh, uh, Doc is on the couch, and and uh, and Marty pulls out the flyer. Well, the reason why is that Doc also says the only thing capable of that much power is a bolt of lightning. Unfortunately, we never know when or where it will strike. Hmm. And that's when the flyer from earlier with uh, Marty's like, maybe I could call my girlfriend and she exactly. Well, I think I think that there's another moment. I mean, it's so well written, guys. Like this is something that again, yeah, you 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 can talk over it, and then all of a sudden you miss something. But it's so well written in the fact that you know Marty's like, I can't be stuck in 1955. I got to get back. I got a girl and everything. And he's like, is she pretty? He's like, oh, she's beautiful. And he pulls out his wallet to show a picture, and that's where the flyer was with yeah. her number. Which is how Marty also realizes now we know where lightning will strike. That's brilliant writing, guys. Yes, it is. It's brilliant writing. This is why, again, I, I, I put it. my vote. Back to the Future is a perfect movie. <laughs> I, you know, I'm I'm in total agreement with you because I just um, the, the way everything sets up and pays off throughout the film. Sometimes you don't catch it, but then you see the payoff. And you're like, oh, oh yeah. shit, that's what happened. Oh, okay, that connects to that. That connects to that. Everything in the movie connects together, which is why I kind of vote that it's the perfect movie as well. I really do. Guys, I'm getting there. I'm getting yeah, you're, there. <laughs> I, I believe uh, in you, Rob. You will. This, you will, Rob. <laughs> the moment that we realize that we know when a bolt of lightning is going to happen, it starts the ticking clock. It's like, okay, 
we know that on this day's time, we have to make sure that we can get the DeLorean uh, engaged with the lightning bolt. Uh, we just got to lay low until then. And that's when Marty expresses to the doc um, that he hasn't only talked to him, he's actually screwed up his own existence, which then forces the doc and Marty to hatch a plan. Two, yeah, they have to have like two plans, right? Because they got to get the plan to get Marty back. Yep. And they also have to the have the, Mar- the, the, uh, the, the plan to undo his fuck up so that his parents can mate, I guess. But we, we've, we've also kind of, we've talked about all these characters, but we, we forgot one key thing. We didn't talk about the iconic villain of this movie, Biff Tannen. Like this is, he is, God, man, it is, he is such an iconic villain that, you know, this is going to play into the next couple of scenes, but like, we forgot to really mention that this dude, we met him earlier. He's an asshole, but like now he's like a young guy and he's, he's still an asshole. And we find out that he has the hots for Lorraine as well. When they meet at one point, she's, he, I think he says like, he's like, when are you going to get it, Lorraine? You're my girl or whatever. Yeah. He's oh, like tickling yeah. her sides at the lunchroom and being all handsy. Right. And he's personifying every stereotypical bully that we see after this movie. Like he is everyone's bully, you right. know? He is the handsy guy. He's the creep guy. He's the curse guy. He's the I'll beat you up guy. I'll be nice to the principal and mean when he turns around guy, you Mm -hmm. know, and he knows how to push your buttons. And he's already met Marty. But the moment that he's groping his mom, Marty fucks his own existence again, because, again, he's not seeing it as some girl. He's looking at like, dude, this dude's groping my mom. You know what I mean? Like, I know this asshole. I'm going to step in. sucks. Yeah, I step in and then all to defend my mom, and all of a sudden, like now his mom's like way wow. more into him. My knight in shining armor, and because George wouldn't do it, right? And Biff goes on a fucking—he's gonna go chase him down now, you know. And oh, this big man. action sequence happens, which is great. Which is great because uh, some kid <laughs> just invented a, uh, a thank you Marty McFly invented a skateboard. Yeah, right. that's right. <laughs> Which well, I think, guys, timeline. before we get to the chase scene, just so we know, because the chasing actually right. happens after the milkshake. But That's right. That, you're right. You're right. You're right. So you're right. Hey, we, this happens to the best of us. But, guys, yeah, we learn how shitty Biff is, and then Marty is out of ideas on how he can connect Lorraine and George until right. he sees that George is reading... Uh, fantastic stories or some like sci-fi comic. Sci-fi stuff. Right. And he didn't realize his father had a knack for some talent, but it right, it hatches an idea. Yeah. So Marty has his radiation suit back on and a blow dryer. Yeah, he, he brought a tape with him and he puts he puts the tape into his uh <laughs> the Walkman, his right? Walkman, right? Yeah. Who would have thought that I would say that again? It's like now <laughs> I used to use my phone. A Walkman puts the tape on, puts some Van Halen in the guy in 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 uh in uh, George's ears and calls himself Darth Vader. So George is walking <laughs> so around. Cool. The George is walking around the entire time saying, I got to date Lorraine because Darth Vader told me to. What? <laughs> I think he's, so he's like, let's just chill brain. it on the Darth <laughs> Vader part of this. But sure, I believe you. <laughs> oh, my God. It's so good, man. I mean, brilliant writing again. Brilliant writing. 
How do they get you know, the another thing when, when George is telling Marty this the whole time, Marty is trying to twist off a Coca Cola bottle and just can't get it. And then eventually, George is just like, Jesus Christ, I'll stop with my story and <laughs> show you that you have to use a bottle opener to open this bottle. And the difference in 30 back. years, right? Yeah. But we, we, we get a little glimpse that George is like, you know, when he opens the Coke bottle for him and stuff like that, he shows kind of like, Dude, hey, so like, he, he, I, give it to me. Right. Yeah. Like, I, I can, I can, I'm not that much of a door. Like, I can, I can handle some stuff. You know what I mean? And yeah, he's ready. He's ready for the plan <coughs> to hatch to, again, take Lorraine out because Marty says, hey, Lorraine wants to go with you. And you can tell that George likes her because obviously she's the pretty girl in the high school. You know what I mean? She's one of the, she's one of the cute girls. Exactly. Yeah, and she's nice to him, which seems like for George is someone who's ignored a lot. So anyone who would at least be friendly is probably going to be uh, someone he would like to talk to. Right. So he's written down what he's supposed to say because Marty gives him a little pep talk, and he kind of screws it up. He's uh, her density, and then realizes he screws <laughs> it up. Yeah. Says he's her destiny, and uh, she's actually feels like. She's kind of taken aback. She's very excited to have someone say such thoughtful things to her until Biff comes in. Right, right. And then Biff is just kind of in the way of everything. And what happens right there? Marty punches Biff and runs out of there, starting the I, one of the most iconic movie chase sequences of all time. But also one of the most iconic, like, I, I love this one. I don't know if it stuck with you guys when you saw it, but I love the... Hey, look, what the hell is that? And he looks away and he tries to punch him, you know what I mean? Or yeah. push him. Like, that's a motif that they play throughout all three of those movies, which I always just, it it just scree Like, anytime I think about that, I always think about Marty McFly. <laughs> Alongside being called a chicken. Like, right, 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 right. Both of those things come back each episode. A big iconic scene. We get the we skateboard. Get the, we get the, the kid in. So, so, Marty, the thing is, is that Marty keeps on messing with timelines throughout this entire movie. Just so keeps he getting yeah, he get, like so this you you're not going to tell me that this kid is all like holy shit, I can make a lot of money off of this. So someone else either the kid <laughs> or someone else is going to that's close to the kid is going to make a lot of money off of the skateboard which Marty uses off of this ragtag scooter that they that they created <laughs> and uh, escapes the uh, Biff and Biff uh, Biff's little gang. Who get manure dumped all over them after he uh, jumps over the car? In one, like he throws it, he he pushes the skateboard underneath the car and runs over the guys back onto the skateboard, and they can't even they can't pull up and uh, crash into a manure cart, which was actually kind of uh, hilarious because uh, you know bullies get their comeuppance. That's what that's basically what that scene tells me. And we get a real sense of how freaking cool Marty McFly is, though. I mean. Let's face it. He's awesome. Yeah, he's pretty cool. Yeah. He can maneuver all situations. Which is a problem because his mom, like everybody's like, who's that guy? And Lorraine's like, I don't know, but I'm going to find out. Thanks a lot, kid. Marty goes back to meet up with Doc. They're watching the video, but they're trying to figure out how this plan is actually going to work because... Uh, Doc doesn't have time for hearing Marty's explanation of what's going to happen in the future. But while right. they're figuring out um, how the car will connect to the bolt, Lorraine comes over 
and asks Marty to the Enchantment Under the Sea dance. <laughs> All plans are out the window, guys. And and Doc's expressions in this, I mean, if you guys go back and watch that scene, just pay attention to Doc. It's played beautifully by Christopher Lloyd. His his expressions where he's like, oh my God, like we are up <laughs> shit's creek. Like he couldn't uh-huh. even believe it. You know, like it's such a great scene, man. Because Doc's just kind of like, oh, like, oh my God, dude. Like, yeah. He's like, your mom is making this really difficult on us, yes. man. I just want to get you back to the future. Marty's got, now Marty really has to make a plan, right? So he has to go and he has to make a plan with George. And this time he has to like really force it. And he's like, okay, well, um, you're going to, you're going to come and you're going to stop me from groping Lorraine. And George just doesn't seem to understand that it's an act. That it's like, it's not going to really be happening. I just want to get you two together. Well, I think Marty's like, there is a end result. He's like, I know if all else fails, something that would make me the shittiest person on the planet. And And the problem, and this is why I keep laughing about this. The problem with that is that she's going to go for him and he doesn't seem to realize it. Yep. She's going to get handsy with him. I don't he even think feel that. that. <laughs> that's why I'm like slapping my face like, ah, dude, that's the wrong plan. But man. I don't think Marty ever had that concept in his mind. Like, it meant because at the end of the day, he's still looking at his mom, you know, like yeah. he didn't yeah. know that she was going to get gropey right back with him, you know? Yeah, because she denies that. The, like when, when that's set up, she denies that she was ever like that. Yeah, he still is holding on to the fact that maybe she wants to be who she becomes as an adult, as shitty as that is. He's like, well, maybe there's something there. Well, it's great, too, because George jumps on board the plan, and then we're in the car with Marty and Lorraine, and we really get a, a cool character moment with Lorraine where, you know... She steals a flask of liquor from the old lady's ca- liquor cabinet, <laughs> yeah. and he's like, "Jesus, you drink!" And then she's like, "Everybody who drink, who you know, who I know drinks or whatever." And then she starts smoking a cigarette. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, "Jesus, you smoke too." She's like, "You're beginning to sound just like my mother." And again, it was just brilliant writing because you're you're looking at it going like, "Dude, like you could just that's... see the sweat beads falling down his face." Exactly. Oh God, what? What would you do in that situation is what I want to know from both of you. Like, I don't, I, I'd shoot See, that's myself. That's why I'm like, like that. The entire, <laughs> this entire, this entire review, I've been like, ah. First <laughs> things know? first, if just I ever went face. back in time, I would go rogue, guys. I would oh, just, yeah? I you think would? I would have to just like drive 300 miles in a different direction I've ever been. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like if you didn't know, right? Like if you if, yeah. if it just happened by chance, like with Marty, like I, I I'd snap my neck. I'd be like, all right, well, I'm not going back to the future. I'm done, man. Like I can't. Like my mom coming on to me. That's oh god, no, thank you. Yeah, I would not want to ever be in that. Um, we do should we should probably jump through a couple of things just because we keep going back and forth a bit, and not us, right. but the movie, because a lot of stuff is happening at once here. Marty's right. writing a letter to Doc that he's trying to sneak into his oh um, my God, yeah, pocket right. for the future. Um, <sighs> the cop tries to stop Doc, and Doc, uh, you know, gets out of it. But really, we all end up at the dance. Before any of the plan is hatched or anything like that, uh, we did see that Doc saw the video of himself getting shot earlier, which yeah. is... Uh, pretty influential on 
how Doc views himself and views the future and does not want to know any more details, does not want to know um, well, why he's in danger. Well, do we ever do we ever get the sense that he did watch it all the way through or do we just assume I guess that he watched we, it all the way through? What we saw was him up to the point of being worried that someone has found him. And so Marty wants to tell him exactly what happens, and he does that in letter form that he tries to sneak into Doc's jacket later, but Doc doesn't want to hear any of it when Marty tries to tell him in person. Exactly, so that makes me wonder if he actually watched his death on the videotape that Marty was filming. Or, I don't think th- see, that, he did, the, only because I, at least he's a pretty good actor if he reads the letter later. Yeah, exactly. Because, like, I mean, <laughs> if you think about it, he doesn't want to know anything. So he kind of, I, I think, in my opinion, and this is just coming from me as an observer, I think that he was just watching it up to a certain point. And then once he sees the Libyan, okay, stop it. Stop the movie. Stop the yeah. stop the tape. You know, yeah. that's my, that's, that's where I think that he got up to. And then he stopped it, you know, because yeah, I, I think, think you're he, right. I think because he was always trying to reject Marty's um, letter the entire like he's like, no, you can't. You can't I, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. So right. him uh, watching the video, I think he stopped it once those Libyans showed up. Well, it, Marty, Marty drops the camera at that moment. He lo- like it's not he drops it, but like he puts it down to look with his own eyes when the Libyans get there, which and he cuts. I oh, think that's he cuts right. the camera. So I think, I mean, and again, it's 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 a normal human instinct that you would probably do that, but it's so well written. Again, perfect movie because he stops the camera, so Doc doesn't really know what happens after, but he knows that something wrong happened, yeah. something bad happened, and when Marty later on tries to warn him, which we'll get there, but yeah, he he reject. He, no man should know enough about his own destiny, is what Doc says, right? Absolutely. I would like to know my, yep. like to know my destiny. <laughs> Hallelujah! Would you want to know your own future? Would you guys want to know your own future? Yes, I would. I don't know if I'd want to know mine. I don't know if I'd I want to know. No, I feel like I wouldn't. But being presented with the question for real, I feel like I would just be like, "Well, when the hell would I get this chance again?" And that's do a good it. point. Yeah. yeah. What about what so, about like would you go back in time and change anything? Like I I probably would go back in time and change a few things. Same. Same here. I just don't think I would. I think, guys, I would have to go back on what I said before. If I went back in time, I would go somewhere I've never been in my own timeline and just live with the knowledge that I have, you know? That's interesting. I just don't trust myself to be able to to change anything from the past because I would probably get too confused with, like, well, can I talk to myself or not or... (laughs) Yeah. Anything like that. Yeah. This I probably had too many of those late night college talks of time travel. For oh. sure. But I, I think <laughs> that this movie definitely, inst- it, it instigates those kind of questions, right? Because it, oh, we, yeah. we've, we've been, we, it, we're not given a traditional sci-fi time travel techie movie. We're given a movie about an everyman. And, uh, anybody could be Marty McFly. Yeah. Going yeah. back in time to events that impact his life directly, which is really... What I mean, what a great, interesting way to present a time travel story, and I yes. think that the the they did a really great job with it. So anyway, we're back. We're back with Marty and Lorraine, right? Mm-hmm. And um, Marty, what is in the car? 
Well, with, after all the smoking and the drinking and yes. stuff like that, his mom his does mom, say something. She gets very forward with him, and she's and he's like, I think Marty doesn't want to go through with the plan, and he and no, he kind of tells bring Lorraine himself that. to to do anything. And then Biff and the, his cronies show up and uh, kind of beat up Marty. Well, but before that, you know, I think he's he tells his mom he's like. You know, did you ever want to think that you were going to go through with something, but then you couldn't or whatever? And his mom's like, you know what I do in those situations? I don't worry. And she kisses him. But then this is a turning point. He doesn't kiss her back. He doesn't kiss her back, but she pulls back and they're both, both of them are horrified because even Lorraine says like, I don't know what it is, but when I kiss you, it's like I'm kissing my brother. And I think that at that moment, Lorraine's attraction for Marty dissipates it just goes out the window because no matter what happens with the timelines like they still are related yes. and there's and, and and that's just a great little tidbit of moment which i think cements the reality that like okay now she can go for george because she was really wrapped up in marty at this yeah. point so yeah i thought that was just a cool moment that totally cool and it probably is what breaks the space-time continuum of uh, <laughs> when, why they don't really think or remember Marty at all. Right, yeah. which is getting yeah. to my one caveat as to why, I still think it's a perfect movie, but I have one caveat. We're getting there. We're oh getting yeah, there. we're well, getting there because I think you and I have the same caveat. Probably is, <laughs> probably is. So Marty, the bullies throw Marty in the trunk of the car of uh, the, what is the band's name? Uh, Marvin Berry and the Starlighters. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Which again is another they're hot little... Boxing. Oh, they're hotboxing, yes. <laughs> and when they're trying to get him out of the trunk, because they chase off the bullies, when they're trying to get him out of the trunk, the uh, what the guitarist uh, hurts his hand. So he, he slices can't... his hand with the screwdriver because the keys were in the trunk. Yeah. So uh, he Does anyone else play. in this movie play guitar, guys? <laughs> what did we set up at the beginning of the movie? <laughs> this this is the movie. set up and payoff movie, I'm telling you. Yeah, everything that's set up at the beginning pays off at the end. And the only person, there's only one other person that can play guitar. It's Marty McFly. So they finally get him out of the trunk and they're like, oh, we need a guitarist. And Marty also, this is a big character moment for Marty because he gets his dream. He wanted to play at the school dance in 1985 and they yep. rejected him. And now he actually gets that chance, even though we haven't gotten to the, the Johnny B. Good part. But he's, he's there. He's doing it. And now he's got to help his parents fall in love. Which, um, yeah, because he, George showed up and yeah, so punched George, oh, yeah, right. So there's another Fuck, big we, moment. We missed the big moment before the big, they lock him yeah, in the trunk. Exactly. George yeah, but we all up. want to get to Johnny B. Good. Right. <laughs> yeah, we all do. Right, but George right. shows up. And uh, he's like, he still thinks Marty's in the car with Lorraine, right? But at this point, it's Biff. At this point, it's Biff. And yeah, yeah, he, George has to find the courage to stand up for himself, to stand up to a bully and essentially get the girl. But he has to do it like three times too. You know, rule of three is like, yeah. Biff yeah, tries to convince does. him twice verbally, and then he punches him. And he punches. But it's also a good moment for for George, right? Because yeah. he's, he's opening the door to expect Marty, and he finds his long-term bully. And you get, and Crispin Glover plays it so well, right? Like, his voice drops. He's like, oh, Biff. You know, like, he's just really... <laughs> it's like, dude, you know, right? Really this is you. Yeah, but 
But George doesn't back down because he knows morally he's got to do the right thing. Exactly. Yep. And you can tell Lorraine is really distraught and George doesn't back down. No. And that was a great character moment. That was a, that was a, probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie was uh, when George finally gets the courage to stand up to this bully, to stand up for himself and to punch the bully into the, you know, the next century. He <laughs> socks him so good, man. And, and, and Biff is not expecting. He's like, yeah, 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 sure, man. Clench your fists. You well, know? he's he's twisting his arm and like he's hurt. He's taking pleasure in hurting George. But he's not expecting to punch back. Oh, hell no, he's not. He's not. So once once the guy is clocked in the face, that's it. He's gone. He's done for the evening. He's over. KO'd. You know? But then George has that moment. Like he can't he can't even believe it. But then the chemistry between George and Lorraine happens. Yeah, finally. And they finally. head back into the dance. Um, and then they... Marty Marty runs back to to make to make sure that his mom's okay. And he's like, "Oh, they're together. Oh, okay." Because yeah, he's fine. He sees that George and Lorraine are heading back into the dance. And Marty's all like. Oh, okay. So then what what does Marty do next? Well, that's the moment where he finds (laughs) out Marvin Berry has sliced his hand and he's like, the dance is over. And he's like, well, if there's no dance, they can't kiss. And if they can't kiss, they don't fall in love. And then we realize that in the photograph, his sister's been disappearing. Like we've noticed that from before, but now his brother's disappeared and we're we're getting into hot water here. Yep. He needs to make some shit happen. So, uh, you know, the band plays Earth Angel, which was the song that they kissed That's under. Right. Um, right. Someone and tries to cut in. George has to stand up for himself a second a time. Game. Yes. A second time. It's like, what is with this guy? If someone tried to cut in between me and, and a girl that I'm with, I'd be like, get the f- <laughs> Yep. Anyway. Well, and so George does a, that, thank yeah, God. Yeah, he does. He does. And then they finally they finally kiss. Well, but he George has a his newly found courage is like, well, now I knocked out Biff. Like, and he does this moment where like, this is my caveat, right? So Marty's playing the song. The guy cuts in like, cause even Lorraine says, George, aren't you going to kiss me? And he's like, I don't know. And then the guy cuts in and then all of a sudden this tense moment starts happening and Marty starts to disappear. Yeah. His hands just start. And the band members are all like, what's wrong with this guy? Are you okay? (laughs) Which is, this is my big caveat with the movie, right? Is why does Marty McFly, and like his siblings, for that matter, disappear slowly. Wouldn't it happen instantaneously? That's my thing, mm, right? So like, no. if a connection in time doesn't happen, why would he disappear slowly? And I think, ladies and gentlemen, that the answer for this one is the writers just wanted to create some tension. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like as if there's not enough tension Quite as possibly. it is. Which is the only part of this movie, in my opinion, that isn't perfect, but in a weird way, it's perfect because it creates great tension. Mm -hmm. Therefore, it's a perfect movie. So just like time travel paradoxes, writing has paradoxes too, ladies and gentlemen. Yep. Um, So they kiss. They finally kiss. And I was like, oh, thank God. Marty shoots back up to his feet. Yes. And he's not disappearing anymore. And it's amazing. It's like, boom, right? And then yep. the song ends. And, and what like, happens hey, why next, not? Rob? Why not one more, right? Why not one more? Why and not? What happens next, Rob? Well, um, he's like, okay, this is key of G. Watch for the changes, guys. It's a little bit upbeat <laughs> tempo. Um, look at me, and we'll get it. And he starts playing, you know, uh, Johnny B. Good, made famous by Chuck Berry, um, brother of Marvin Berry, the band that's playing currently. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> 
Was and, it his cousin, though? Was it his cousin, right? Or cousin, sorry. Cousin, cousin uh, of Marvin Berry. And everyone loves it. Johnny Be Good, you know, this is this is a hot, hot piece of rock and roll that we all are familiar with in the current day audience. And then uh, Marvin calls Chuck and says, he's like, here's that new sound you were looking for. And... You know, I think this is this is fun. It's a silly moment in the movie. Everyone loves it. It's a lot. But it is a prime example of like looking back and being like, well, mm-hmm. if we would have just taken like maybe 10 more minutes to think about this phrasing, it is one of those script paradoxes of being like, well, Michael J. Fox didn't invent rock and roll. How does that <laughs> shape music going forward? But that's a, this is a little Robert Zemeckis archetype i don't know if you guys it'll deviate slightly into another movie that robert zemeckis directed which is forrest gump another movie we can watch over and over again in my opinion but there's a scene in forrest gump where elvis presley watches forrest dancing with these with these with these like metal metal braces and that's how it gives birth to the you know infamous twist kind of elvis dance and then again, later on, when he's doing the running, you know what I mean? And and he gets mud on his face and this guy tells him, I've been working on a t-shirt company that hasn't... And he's like, here, wipe your face with this t-shirt. Nobody cares anybody. And he wipes his face and on the mud, you get this big smiley face logo, which was a huge selling logo uh, like yeah. icon for t-shirts so Zemeckis in the 90s. likes to like create characters who create things that are huge cultural movements, I guess. Right. Like it's almost like they birth themselves out of somewhere, which I thought... Is, is is interesting, you know? Is. I do think that's that. a fun way of thinking about it, and that is really cool to see, like, a couple more examples that you could just pull right there. I'm sure there's plenty more. And then and then Marty does something that uh, won't be around till the 1980s, and he, he even <laughs> said, you guys don't like it, but your kids are gonna. <laughs> he just shreds Yeah, he starts guitar. going off on this guitar solo that would make... Slash envious. I'm kidding. No. <laughs> but I mean, he got his dream, right? He wanted yeah. to do this at a dance. He wanted to rock and he did it. 100%. God, everyone's totally happy, but Marty needs to get back to the future, guys. Right. Yes. Right. So he leaves the dance. He says bye to Lorraine and his dad. And he tells him, hey, if, uh, if, uh, if one of your kids, you know, starts a fire on the carpet, uh, don't go easy on him. <laughs> and Lorraine even says, "Oh, Marty's a nice name, but what a warm moment, right?" Yeah, it was a great yeah. moment. That was a great moment. Yeah. And um, then we enter into one of the most tense, like probably the longest scene in the entire movie, but the most tense scene in the entire movie. God. Okay, there's there's a <laughs> lot of key scenes in Back to the Future, but I think. This is the tensest one. This dude. is the one that, to me, just like this whole was, ending. No, but I was watching it the other day. And I was all like, "Okay, is he gonna plug it in? Is he like, you gotta go eighty-five miles an hour, eighty-eight miles an hour?" I mean, like, what, what? How long is this gonna take? You know, it like the scene just kept going on and on and on. And what am I talking about? I am talking about the ending scene when he actually goes back to the future to nineteen eighty-five. So he gets there. Doc and him have a conversation. He try. He, uh, he Doc finds the letter in his his uh, jacket, and he's all like, yeah, I, "I, I, we can't use. I, I don't want to see. I don't want to know anything about this." And what does he do though? He rips it up. Crazy. 
He rips up the letter that Isn't tells him he's going to die in the future. Rips it up. All right? Yeah. <laughs> and then something, uh, the, the wind starts picking up and all of a sudden you had a branch break, right? And the branch falls on top of the wire. And the wire that is connected from the uh, from the cor- from the light from the clock tower, the wires connected from the clock tower down to the to the connector that is uh, supposed to you know between two light posts that is supposed to hook onto the car and and give it the gigawatts and take him back to the future. Well, the branch falls on that wire. Now my question was, you didn't have enough wire. You had to <laughs> use plugs. There was not a wire long enough for that whole thing. That you just you had to plug it up over there, and then you had to plug it right right next to the uh, right next to the lamppost. Okay, two plugs. Got it. Keep in mind too. There's there's a big there's a big great exposition. The whole time that this whole thing is going on, like we know from the flyer and from earlier, precisely when to quote the movie, lightning was going to strike the clock tower, which was at midnight, right? And yeah. we notice that, you know, they do a really good timing. Uh, sorry, they do a really great way of showing that tension by showing the clock ticking closer and closer to the time I'm, and more chaos right builds. Right now, it's still like, I'm, my heart's pumping right now because I remember seeing it and it's like, okay, so he has to go run up in four, before four minutes are up. He has to run up all the way to the, up to the clock tower, get on the ledge. And then he has to throw a rope down so he can get the other part of the wire, uh, the other part of the cable up to him to plug into the cable that is attached to the clock tower, right? And and he gets it. And of course, there's a little break in the ledge and he has to grab onto the clock itself. And then he has to plug it all in. And that scream, that, oh, <laughs> Doc Brown screams so good. Because <laughs> he sees the gargoyle. And then he has to plug it in but then the other side that it's still the wire, the cable is still underneath the branch. Now, none of these jokers thought to, they didn't think to take the branch off of the cable. I mean, just move it. Just take the cable from out under it. But who's going to do that? He's all the way on the clock, on the top of yeah, the clock before tower. Before they get the rope and, and move it up, they could have like taken the wire and put it over the branch. Hey. Hindsight's twenty twenty, maybe. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, Hindsight's eighty eight. Um, maybe, yeah. I don't. Know. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So or maybe everything had to happen this way to make sure it precisely hit. Yes. And all yeah. of this is like he has to plug it in at the same time as the lightning hits, at the same time as the car goes through. And to, you know, Whew. to add to that, to, you, you, uh, by the way, I was going to oh. ask you, did you take a breath? That was a lot. Oh that God. was a lot of tension like, right now. But it was all <laughs> tension. Like I'm just watching it. Like, hey, come on, come on, come on, get get plug it, plug it in, plug but it in. We also, I mean, this is a this is a brilliantly structured scene, right? Because yes. it creates tension as it goes. Remember, Doc said. As he's like, I've wound up an alarm clock that's going to sound exactly when you need to gun this car forward. And the the while Marty's in the DeLorean, right, he decides to concoct a plan, right? Because he's like, why did Doc yep. tear up the letter? But he's like, wait, I got a time machine. I've got all the time in the world. I'll just go back in time earlier and warn him. And he sets the clock what, like five minutes before. But then the yeah, moment like that he's going to- five or ten. Right, right. Five or ten. But then the moment that he's going to drive off, what happens? <laughs> As if the scene didn't need any more tension. 
The DeLorean goes out. But here's the thing. It doesn't start. It It, stops. It's it's, it's dead. The car's dead. And you can argue, right? Like in any horror movie, right? The car never starts. And that's a cliche. But in this movie, because it's the perfect movie, the setups and payoffs go so perfectly. We've already seen the DeLorean not work two times before. So like you said before, Rob, rules of three. The third time it doesn't work, we totally buy into that tension. And then that alarm clock sounds... And Marty can't get the car to start. Damn. Like, who's not jumping out of their seat at this point, right? I was. <laughs> and he does exactly what all of us were wanting to do in that moment. And just slams his head into that steering wheel. <laughs> Boom. It's ready. And he shifts that puppy into gear. And the, that iconic soundtrack is just blasting. I mean, like, what a great movie. So good. So good. So what happens? What happens, guys? Uh, well, Marty crashes into the movie theater, and he is back in the 1980s, but we see the Libyans drive past the DeLorean that is now dead in the water. Right, we're not, we're not out of the woods yet. It's yep. dead. It's so Marty sprints dead. back over to the mall, wherever that J.C. Penney is, I guess the only thing that's <laughs> oh open. Oh my God, that that's mall. right. Well, what, but here's the thing, here's the thing, he must, he must be in track and field, because isn't that like two miles away? Oh yeah, yeah, it well, was pretty damn far. Yeah, it's pretty damn far. That yeah, it is. It's really far because it's right. He drove for a while after Peabody's to no when, when the he gets, estates. Yeah, though. exactly. But you notice, like when he's walking into town, it's like uh, uh, two miles away. Well, and right. Marty's got like Ten he's minutes. sweating, you know, right. and he is he he arrives at the mall. I mean, he arrives late. It was yeah. far away. You yeah, know? so he has and to start he, running. He sees Doc get shot. He sees himself drive off. He goes up to grieve uh, for Doc Brown. And guess what, guys? Turns out Doc decided to tape the letter back up and read it anyway. And he had a a nice bulletproof vest. Thank God. (laughs) Which, again, is a really great... I get chills thinking about it. That's just such a great character moment of their friendship. And he even says... he's He's like, Marty says to him, what about all that stuff about the space-time continuum and then doc tells him ah, i figured what the hell you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what and you, we believe that because i don't think anybody would have i don't think he would have that's what your I audience honestly, would say you know yeah i think that's doc like, would have yeah, yeah me too i would can i tell you guys I I something that really really jumped out at me that i loved at the end of this movie okay so doc drives marty home okay that's and right and Doc drives away. He's like, I don't know. I guess I'll go 30 years in the future. Tells him that's what he's probably going to do. And we don't get to see the DeLorean, um, you know, the iconic travel scene. We don't get to see the fire and the wheels. We just see a little flash of light off right. the side. Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh, is that the last we see of the DeLorean? It's such a huge thing. And it's just gone in a flash of light. Um, which is paid off here in a minute that I'm sure we'll talk about. But until then, Marty goes home and passes out and we get a fade to black and an alarm clock waking him up. Is this another quasi dream? What's going on? Right. And then I want to just go back to that little moment that you mentioned, because when I when I saw that flash of light, like I just took it as kind of like we're, we're like Marty. Right. At this point, 
we've done this. We've been through time. Like we get it. You know, it works this way. It's kind of like, you know, true. The novelty for us is worn off and he's, and he's gone away and we're like, yeah, you know, been there, done that. That, that, that was just kind of my sentiment to it. But I, I, I share your, I think that it's awesome that doc was like, ah, it was just cool. You know, like, Oh, he's gone. Yeah, Are it was we going to see casual him exit, but yeah. surprising in retrospect. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite scenes in this movie comes up next with Marty waking up and he he goes into his house and he starts like looking around. And it's like even I noticed I was like, this is a different house. This is not the right. same house. Yeah. Yeah. And then he sees he sees his brother and his sister and they look so different. Uh, they, his brother's wearing a his suit. Bro- yeah. His uh, sister's what, what, what is she wearing? She's wearing something really nice. She's eating strawberries for breakfast. He's like, what the hell is this? Breakfast. You know, like as if like nothing, nothing really changed. And and the parents come in. They look like they're fresh off the links. Yeah, exactly. Marty just changed the timeline. And there's a there's a great line there. There's a great line there going back to this writing. Right. He says it in the past when he sees his mom for the first time as a teenager. And he's like, Mom, you're so thin because I guess she was kind of overweight in 1985 (laughs) in the ordinary world. And then when he sees her again. We revisit that line, which I think for a time travel movie is brilliant, but just the way that it's done. He's like, Mom, you're so thin. And she's like, well, thank you, Marty. And you can tell there's a whole new dynamic. There's like a new confidence. Exactly. They're happy. Yeah. They looked miserable in the other 1985. But here, they're happy people. Yes. It looks so much better. <laughs> and um, yeah, he starts uh, going around and he finds out that he has his truck that he always wanted. That's another setup at the beginning of the movie that we didn't touch on. He looks at he looks at a truck while they were talking about the the he's about to kiss his girlfriend, and then there's a the the woman with the clock tower asking for money. It's his and treasure. He sees his truck. He sees the truck that he wants, and all Good. of a sudden it's in the garage. So in yep. other words, him going back in time, like the way he made his parents meet, he his dad grew some balls. And therefore, he made a better life yeah. for his kids. And Biff's buffing the cars. They've yeah. got the nice pink furniture. Biff's Everyone's, a bitch now, there guys. We go. Yeah. Biff is the bitch. <laughs> Biff comes rushing into the house with a very special package. It's right. uh, it's George McFly's new oh, book. Oh, Mister McFly. Mr. McFly, it's your book. It's your new book. Oh my God, good sir. Whatever the a match made said. in space. <laughs> Whatever he said, it was hilarious. Like, With oh, uh, Mr. McFly, sir. <laughs> but yeah. Rob, can you tell us what's on the cover of this book? It is what a, a young woman and a young man. Uh, kneeling on near a bed with a person what looks like the radiation suit Marty was wearing in between right? them. Darth Vader. <laughs> yes. Isn't that crazy? But what's cool is that we go back to this like kind of self-fulfilling prophecy motif that George says, see, like I told you, you could do anything. If you put your mind to it, you can do anything. And that's what Marty told him in the past. Yeah. So essentially Marty's sort of responsible for, for his better dad's life betterment you know what i mean like mm-hmm. and now his dad's this super confident guy and it's 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 an interesting dynamic i honestly i'm gonna tell you something weird when i saw george mcfly in the new makeup where he looked like more confident i thought that was matthew modine i thought they had changed the actor yeah me too because oh, wow. they kind of look like that but it's still crispin glover you know it's yeah. really weird wow. it's actually kind of cool though you know like it's yeah uh, very you cool keep the same actor you don't you don't change it and uh the same character one of my favorite things about this movie, though, it was it was um, 
the first of its kind. And what, what do I mean by that? It was the first movie, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's, it's one of the first movies to set up the sequel. To set up a, a, a not a universe, but a, but a sequel, like the Marvel movies do now. But you know, they with totally they, um, were also setting up the universe, you know, which was yeah, great, exactly. but they just didn't have the... In- I don't think... I think you are right, Peter. You know what I mean? Like, I think they were like, we could make this huge, and even if we don't, what a way to end this movie. Yeah, exactly, because like Doc Brown comes back, and he says, oh, it's your kids. Your kids are... Was it the kids? Your kids, yeah. your your kids are uh, are crazy or something, and 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 they set up they set, no but they set they set I up. I want to see that movie. Yeah, I know. I want to see Barney McFly's kids. I want to see a movie about that. But they set up this this whole like universe, yeah. not universe, but they set up the next movie, which is a common theme today. If you look at like any Marvel movie, they're like setting up the next movie, the sequel, you know, the Iron Man sequel, the the next Hulk movie, etc. But I gotta, yeah, I gotta, I gotta question that. I gotta question that. I'm, I'm gonna question that because you know, like, you know, Batman Begins, right? The ending of Batman Begins, uh, Commissioner Gordon, or back then Detective Gordon, or whatever, shows Batman the calling card for the Joker, right? And I remember thinking, oh, they're setting up a sequel, right? And I remember reading later on that Christopher Nolan didn't intend for that. If it was like it was like a happy accident in the sense like, yeah, look, if we do make sequels, it's a great jumping off point. But I think it was kind of painted as a motif as like, well, now Batman adventure Batman's adventures are gonna begin with the Joker, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's like this he has oh, he's on his he's on his journey. He's become Batman. I wonder, yeah. I don't know, right? I don't know if anybody else knows, but like I wonder if that's the same thing they did with Back to the Future, because the sequel came like five years later. Oh. Or three or like three years later. I don't remember. But like but I it's, don't it's remember, but I feel like they had to have known where they could take the story. But yeah, also exactly. now right. that I'm remembering it, like I mean, maybe we'll cover Back to the Future Part Two later, but I think they actually didn't want to do any sequels. And that's why when they started making it, it was like, Well, let's make it a joke. Jaws thirty six. You know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <that's so right. laughs> <laughs> right and, and what a way to like mess with your producer right yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly i know all about that well can you give us that iconic last line of the movie please roads where we're going we don't need roads and, and they the- fly off into the sky and then shoot back in time or into the future back to the future Exactly. Which, by the way, brings up something that we were discussing earlier in this podcast that now makes sense. That's when Huey Lewis's Back in Time pops up. It's in the credits. Gotta get back in time. And then it just happens right there during the credits. And that's that's probably uh, uh, what Mike... Well, we talked about this earlier. Caveats. (laughs) I'm like... How the hell does the, the how the hell does the DeLorean fly? They fly now. They fly now. It flies now. Well, See, and it works on garbage. No, I'm just like that's right. It runs on garbage instead of <laughs> nuclear power. They got rid of any problems they would ever need in the next movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or do they? Yeah. That's well, I guess we'll have to tune in and find out, gentlemen. Well, yeah, we is is this going to be a two parter podcast? Because this one was a this one was a long one. But I got to say. This is by far, I think, the most studied film in film schools across America, at least, 
that I know of. Yeah, that Every script is an equation. School. Yes. It like, really is. It? I mean, look at how long it took uh, for us to like break this entire film yeah. down. I mean, my God, there's so much going on. That little details, big details. This, this happens and this happens. And it's just every single moment in this movie is, if you blink, you miss it. Well, guys, I think that I would love to cover Back to the Future too, but oh, I don't think goodness. we can give the audience that next. We're gonna have to keep them on their toes because yes, uh, we do. I, I think Back to the Future Two is a is a Christmas morning present form or something, you know? Right, right. <laughs> yep, right, yep, right. I totally agree with that. Well, well, before we sign off, guys, does anyone have any like final takeaways? Well, I I wanted to know. Do we now? Let's uh, round up the votes. Is Back to the Future a perfect movie? I'm still saying yes. I I have recently come to that um, conclusion, actually. Uh, And I would say yes as well. Definitely. Perfect movie. Guys, it took took a couple of hours. I think I'm going to have to go with yes. Boom. Even the parts that, that maybe I felt like could have been done differently weren't done poorly so everything works out it's a perfect movie god yes it is i wonder what what the listeners are thinking but honestly yes if you guys that's awesome don't wait as long as i did which was what 35 (laughs) years to go watch this movie watch it you know tonight and you know check it out uh and let us know, actually, if uh, you think it's a perfect movie or not. I'm curious to know. Just just punch yourself in the face for every year that you haven't seen it. So. <laughs> Some people might have a lot of bruises on their face. <laughs> oh, God. But only oh, start no. from when you were born. You don't need to, like, if you were born in 1992, don't worry about that. Yeah, that's true. Movie. That's true. <laughs> if you were born in the 80s, like, like <laughs> Peter and I were... Uh, punch yourself in the face. I'm sorry. I just never got around to it until a couple of years ago. You know, thank you, Vanderpump Rules. (laughs) Yeah. Well, guys, this has been great. I want to remind everyone to leave those five-star rating and reviews on Apple Podcasts where they can tell us what their perfect movie is. Yeah, please. Yes, please leave your ratings, reviews, and let us know what you would like to hear for uh, what the next movie should be. Uh, You know, Jaws. Or something Ooh. more contemporary, like um, Avengers. Ooh. Let me know. Whoa. Let us know. Let everybody know what you want us. What you want us to talk about next? I think I think those Marvel movies are going to have to be like a like a week long segment. You know, yes. like a, yeah, like a, like a breakdown because that those are those are. It's like one big story. Right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. So, that's very true. We'll plan for those, gentlemen. Oh, my goodness. Well, guys, this I am always honored to be in your company. Uh, great insight to movies i love everybody's passion here man thank you guys again for this this is awesome as usual thanks again too guys you know being on the east coast it's fun when we can uh, sync up and do these recordings so i look forward to our next episode and thanks again listeners peter you want to take us home i am peter madrigal signing off for rob fedrick and rob schulte and tune in next time where where you'll hear from us uh, magical at the movies